Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The ABC series, How Do You Sleep at Night?, introduces six people doing unpopular or controversial things. From abortion clinic protesters to big game hunters and people making billions from running pokey machines, the show's host, Sarah McVeigh, gently probes why they do what they do and how they justify it to themselves. This is a man who smokes Marlboro cigarettes. What kind of a man is he? I believe in economic freedom, personal freedom social freedom. When I get up in the morning and I come to work, it's not just about a product or a company. There is an underlying principle which I believe in. It is a principle which sustains me and motivates me in what I do. I really genuinely love tobacco. I love what I do. I'm Sarah McVeigh and this is How Do You Sleep at Night? It's a show about the very personal line between right and wrong. It's about the people who live their lives in the face of judgement. Imagine going to a party and saying to people, Hi, I'm a tobacco lobbyist. That industry has shown itself over decades to be the least trusted and the most unethical industry on the planet. In this episode, we meet Patrick Matart, a smooth-talking Canadian with a background in political spin. These days, he works from an office overlooking the Yarra River. His job is to make the case for big tobacco. I don't like the term big tobacco. I think it's a really antiquated term. I think we've reached a point in time where it's no longer about big tobacco, but there's new tobacco and there's old tobacco. Philip Morris are old tobacco. They've been at it 170 years. But being here in their bright white offices, it feels like they're really angling for a new tobacco vibe. When I first asked them to speak to me, they said they have a new strategy. They've decided to be more open with the media, they said. They've invited me to a party they've put on for the Greek business community. There are around 40 men sitting around their foyer eating fancy canapes and drinking expensive champagne. To understand where we are as a company. Patrick's tall, clean-shaven and comfortable in his sharp suit. His job is to impress people and he's got his lines ready. Tobacco has been around for a very, very long time. In fact, we've had tobacco for almost as long as we've had Greeks. And uh, as you all know from your strong sense of history, that is a very, very long time. People have been using tobacco products since about 100 AD. The products were first commercialized in the 1500s. And even today, the WHO estimates that there still will be around a billion smokers in the world in 2030. Quoting the World Health Organization is pretty ballsy. And we're just so thrilled that you've given up some of your time to come here to listen to us talk about our uh, our vision and share our vision of a smoke-free future. Thank you very much. 
I'm curious to know how someone becomes a tobacco lobbyist. Does anyone ever say, when I grow up, I want to work for a cigarette company? I'm meeting Patrick in an inner city pub. It feels a little like his media guy chose it just for me. There are band posters on the walls, a pool table and craft beer on tap. Can we start, like, way, way back? When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a politician. Um, I've been fascinated by politics and public affairs since I was a kid. And it literally started when I was uh, 12 years old. Um, I got a paper route. And it was Route 15 with the Daily Sentinel Review, which was my local paper in Woodstock, Ontario. And I didn't come from a political family or even a white-collar family. Um, We didn't really talk a lot about politics at home. But in delivering the newspaper, I started reading the newspaper. I started following political developments. There's that old saying, if you're not a socialist when you're young, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. Patrick's evolution from the left to the right happened way quicker than that. As a 12-year-old, he flirted with the left. But as he got to understand politics a little better, he became a staunch conservative. Around the time that I was um, 16, I realised that um, I was more of a Tory than a Liberal and I became more active in conservative politics. Were you a fairly unusual child? Thoroughly unusual. (laughs) Thoroughly unusual. Around this time, my pie and mash arrives. Patrick's not eating. I suppose there's worse things that a teenager can be doing than volunteering at the local uh, political campaign. What about friends at school? Were you kind of... Did they think it was weird? I, I generally hung out with the, uh, with the nerds. So my, uh, my friends in the debating club and the United Nations club were, were highly <laughs> supportive. Patrick tells me a story I'm sure he's told many, many times before. By the age of 33, he was working in Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper's office. He was seen as a wonder kid of conservative politics, known for understanding what everyday people wanted from politicians. He studied hard. He even came to Australia to observe John Howard's campaign style. So I was always a believer in and I think an executioner of, you know, clear, concise, impactful political communication. And in Howard, I saw a principled conservative leader who had an ability to connect with ordinary people. And we were able to... um, uh, to take away a number of, uh, of lessons. And it, it was interesting in, in reaching out to some of the people around Prime Minister Howard, uh, we began a, a relationship that has continued uh, to this day, a very strong relationship. What do you think people think of you? I, I, think people, I, I think people, when they meet people like me and the people that I work with, I think they see people who are genuinely committed to these underlying principles of personal freedom and individual responsibility. Patrick Muttart, a.k.a. Mr Tobacco, from the ABC series How Do You Sleep at Night, presented by Sarah McVeigh. Dave MacDonald did the sound design. The supervising producer was Justine Kelly, and Kelly Reardon was the executive producer. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents... 
the anime effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend <laughs> that I don't right Hold now. it in. Hold and our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.